wanted to share that song with you this week for a number of reasons. I think it's a, a beautiful song. I think it glorifies God and it points us to the hope and truth that are present for us only in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as a result of that fact, it uniquely touched my soul earlier this week as I listened to it. The artist who recorded it is a man named Andrew Peterson, and he is, uh, I guess you would call him a, a contemporary or modern Christian musician. Uh, I'm not a big fan of a lot of modern Christian music, frankly. Uh, but I do feel that Peterson is a, a gifted artist, both musically and poetically. I especially appreciate the way he uses words and paints a beautiful picture of, of our Lord and of his glories. And I, I saw a note posted online that he had, he had posted earlier, uh, I guess about a week ago, actually. And uh, Peterson mentioned how he had gotten an email from somebody in Syria this past week. And they had told him that uh, amongst the uh, persecuted Christians in that war-torn nation, that this song was being sung. And he was humbled by that. And I can imagine he would be. Uh, to know that people were looking to the truth in this song, the truth that is is in its message, this truth drawn straight out of Psalm 46, which we look at today, to find peace in the midst of trouble. And it, it just seemed to fit where my heart and mind were as I prepared this week. Perhaps you can see in, in the words that the song opens with, how, how these words resonated so strongly with me as I sat in a hospital waiting room. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish you could see it all made new? We do. Is all creation groaning? It is. And is a new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. That's what we do every Sunday morning as we gather together, isn't it? We remind ourselves of this, that though the world in which we live may be fallen, it may be broken, it may be crumbling all around us, there may be pain and suffering and misery and trouble and trial, and it may seem to all be against us, we can know that the glory of the Lord is still the light within our midst. A new creation is coming. And is coming through Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's what we say every Sunday. That's what we celebrate every Sunday. And this week I was forced to ask myself a unique question. Faced with some unique challenges I don't normally face. I was forced to ask myself, okay Pete, that stuff you say every Sunday morning. 
Do you really believe it? Is that really true? Or is that just some kind of lip service you just spout every week? Well, I'm thankful to tell you that it is not just lip service. It is true. And the truth of the gospel is not just for me and for my family. It is for all of us, isn't it? For we might not all have a son with leukemia, but we all face all kinds of troubles, all kinds of difficulties. And we all live in a broken, fallen world filled with fear, filled with anger and sadness, and filled with pain. And in a broken world filled with fear and sadness and anger and pain, we find ourselves desperately in need of peace. And the 46th Psalm beautifully, wonderfully points us to the one place where we can find that peace. Before we take a look at that psalm, would you just pause and pray with me as we ask for the Lord to direct our time together. Heavenly Father, we, we ask you now to speak to us through your word. Speak to us in a mighty way. Speak to us because your word is living and active. Speak to us because your spirit is among us. Speak to us and cause us to hear not my voice, but your voice this morning. Speak to us life-giving words that we might have that peace that transcends all understanding. For we ask of, ask of this in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Follow along now as I read from the 46th Psalm. This is the inspired word of God. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You know, it's funny, just a few weeks ago, I was having a conversation with James Austin Steenson. Remember that, James Austin, when we were talking? And I asked you what your favorite psalm was. And then you asked me what my favorite psalm was afterwards. And I, I told you that among my favorite psalms, anyway, was certainly the 46th psalm. 
What a beautiful psalm it is. Little did I know on that day just a few weeks ago how very precious that psalm would be to me in the days that were to come. And the reason that I, I find this psalm so precious, and especially found it precious this week, was because it does not speak to us just in feel-good platitudes. It is, it is not just some kind of bubblegummy, cheerful message that says everything is good and everything is happy and la-di-da, rainbows and unicorns, and it's all good. No, it is very realistic. It is very realistic and it recognizes that there will be times in our life that are not easy. There will be times of pain and sorrow and suffering, times of trouble. And this psalm points us to the peace that we can know in those times, in the midst of our fears, in the midst of our sadness and anger, in the midst of our pain. First, in the midst of our fears, I see the very first verse says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. It is a beautiful thing that the Psalms don't patronize us with nonsense about there not being any pain in this world or any fears in this world. There is plenty in this world that is fearful. Just look around, watch the news, talk to somebody. You will see that there is much to be fearful about. But just as certain as the psalmist is that he will face trouble, it's right there in the very first verse, he is even more certain that in the midst of that trouble, God will be our help. God is our refuge, the place that we, we retreat to, the place that we hide ourselves from trouble. When we are fearful, we can retreat to God. We can find peace there. You know, Martin Luther wrote the song that we sang at the, the beginning of our service today, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He, he wrote it based on this very song. He wrote it in the late 15-teens. We don't know exactly where, but it, it had certainly been written at the point where he appeared before Emperor Charles V at the Diet of Worms. And, and when he appeared before him in 1521, the presiding officer, Johann Eck, put before him all of Luther's works. And, and he told him, you've, you've written these things. Are these things yours? And Luther says, yes, they are, they are mine. And, and Eck says, will, will you recant of these writings? Will you Will you disown them? Will you say that you were wrong about all these things that you have written? And Luther knew what the stakes were. He knew this was a troubling, fearful situation he was in. Because, because he could agree to it and say that all he had said was wrong and walk away a free man. But he would have gone against his conscience and he would have gone against truth as he knew it. So the other option was he could say, no, I don't disown them. I don't 
recant. Of course, at that point, he realized that he would be branded a heretic and likely would be sentenced to death. That's a fearful situation. We don't face situations like that very often. How did Luther respond? Well, he asked for a night to pray about it, and they granted him that. And the next day he came back. The, the legend is, and we don't know that this is true, and likely it's not, but it sure would make for a good scene in a movie. The legend is that Luther returned with his supporters actually singing, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, as he walked into the room. I don't think that happened. But it's certainly he was singing it in his heart. The truths that stand beneath it. Because what he did say when he came back was, Unless I am convinced by testimony of the scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. I am bound by the scriptures. I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. Here I stand. I can do no other. So help me, God. Amen. Was Luther fearful? Yes, he was very fearful. And yet he knew that in the midst of his fears, he could retreat to the refuge that was his, the fortress that is God. And he could find his peace there. You know, it's great that God offers to be a refuge for us, offers to be a hiding place, as it were, a a retreating place. But it does us no good if he is a weak and wimpy God. (laughs) Because if he is a weak and wimpy God, we can try to hide in it. But but it does us no good because he will not be able to protect us, actually. But he is not just our refuge. We see in verse 1, he is our refuge and our strength. He is a mighty God. He is the power by which we overcome all sorts of powers that will come against us. You know, the powers of this world, Satan, And sin have a a certain amount of free reign. Scripture refers to Satan as the prince of the power of the air. But but John tells us in 1 John 4, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. God is greater. He is stronger. He is more powerful. And we can be certain of this. He is a very present help in trouble. He is present with us when there's a time of need. He is present. He is able. He is willing. He is our refuge, our fortress in the midst of fear. Therefore, for that reason, verse 2 tells us, we will not fear. It's not that there's nothing fearful in the world. There is, but but even amidst those fearful things, we can have confidence. We can have confidence that that we can rest in God, not because there's nothing to fear, but because he is greater than all our fears. He is greater than the things that we are afraid of. We can depend upon him because he is greater and he loves us. We are his children that he has taken for his own, and so we can trust him. We can rest in him in every situation. Look at the situations that are, are mentioned here in verse 
too. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. These are cataclysmic things. We don't necessarily see these exact things in our lives, but, but metaphorically speaking, we certainly do. I can tell you this. Waters roared and foamed. When we got a phone call from a doctor this Monday, he told us we needed to take Jack straight to the hospital because the blood tests were showing some things that she didn't like. And, and the mountains trembled as we were told what tests they were going to run on him at the hospital and why they were running them. And the mountains were moved into the heart of the sea and we heard the word leukemia. I'll be honest with you, fears arose. <laughs> fears arose. What, what will this mean for Jack? What will this mean for our family? Selfishly, what, what will this mean for me? Fears arose. And sometimes fears are actually worse than the reality, aren't they? They can be paralyzing, right? Sometimes the, the reality of something isn't even, even as hard as the, the fear of what might come. And so the fears that, that we have cause us to seek refuge in all kinds of different things in life, don't they? Sometimes our fears cause us to, to seek refuge in places uh, like, like popularity and fame. We, we, we seek popularity, we seek fame because we think that if only we have that, then we don't need to fear things. All will be good, but we know that that's not true. We look at the, the news this week, and two prominent individuals who were, who were rich and famous individuals took their lives because they realized, uh, be, be, because they didn't realize the peace that they, they thought they would find in their, in their fame and their fortune. Money doesn't do it. Power and political influence, sometimes we, we look to those things. We think that, that if only we're in control of things, politically or or have enough control over our our immediate surroundings that that all will be good but those are false hopes the psalmist tells us put not your trust in princes and son of man in whom there is no salvation when his breath departs he returns to the earth on that very day his plans perish sometimes we we seek peace and in, in in escape you know through through substances drugs alcohol all kinds of things like that through through other substances but but none of these ultimately will provide the refuge that we need the only refuge that we can have the only one that is stronger than all that might come against us is god almighty he is our refuge and our strength in the midst of our fears and he is there in the midst of sadness and anger sometimes things go a step beyond our fears and become a reality and and we are grieved or or angry at, at what happens. But in the times when we are grieved, in the times that we are angry, we can know what verse 4 tells us. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. When it talks about the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High, we say, oh, I know that's Jerusalem it's talking about. But, but just a little geography, there's no river that runs through Jerusalem. <laughs> That's not what he's talking about, is the physical land of Jerusalem. What he's talking about is the people of God. It's poetic, figure, figurative language. When he talks about the city of God, he's talking about the people of God. He's talking about the church, capital C. There's a river that runs through it. That is the river of life. The, the waters of the river of life are the gospel. 
the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel that tells us that we are saved, not through our own efforts, not through our, our own doing, but through the grace of God who grants us his righteousness, who cleanses us of our sin, and who gives us new life in Christ. He gives it freely. The Spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. It is a free offer that is given to us all. A free offer in the gospel that any who would drink of that water are free to take. To be refreshed, to be be nourished, and to, to have those streams make glad them and all who are with them. They make us glad when we are sad. I've known sadness this week. (laughs) I've known tears. But I've repeatedly gone back to the gospel. To the truth that, that even amidst my tears, amidst my sadness, that there is a greater truth God is at work in and through even the cancerous blood that is running through my son's veins. God is not caught off guard by that, no matter how caught off guard I might be. He is working mightily in ways I can't begin to understand. He is working for his glory and for my good. And so I rejoice. God is in the midst of her, and he, she, she shall not be moved. This is, this is not some far-off distant God we're dealing with. He is not removed from us, uh, some, some clockmaker who wound everything up and let it start running and went off and did something else. No, he is actively involved. With every. I said it last week, just last week I, meant, I mentioned this. That he is involved to the very, every last molecule, every last cell in our bodies. That means even the cancerous cells. He is sovereign over. I believe that to be true. I know that to be true. I know it to be true that God is working through them. And so I can be glad in the work that he's doing, even if I don't understand it. And that is how it is that we are not moved because we know that God will. Help us when the morning dawns. He is able to, he is willing to, and he is going to. And so the powers of this world come against us, and and they seem mighty. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. But God just utters his voice, one word, and the earth melts. You know, you've used the phrase before just say the word, and it's done one word. With God, it's true. It's literal. He just says the word, and it's done. His word is truth. Remember how he created? What did he do? He he spoke, let there be light. There was light. There is power in the word of God. It affects things. It makes things happen. That's what Luther was getting at in, in a mighty fortress. He said, the prince of darkness, grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can't endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. And that word, above 
all earthly powers, no thanks to them, abideth the Spirit, and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. See, he's, he's sides with us, or calls us to side with him. What glorious truth that is, that the Lord of hosts is with us. He is with us, and he is for us. And so we rejoice, for all the power in the world doesn't matter if it's indifferent toward us, but he is not indifferent toward us. He loves us as his beloved children. I've told Jack all his life, you know that your mother and I, that we are for you, right? You know that when, when, we, when we chastise you, when we discipline you, when we, when we say no to the things that you want to do, you know that, that we're not doing this because we are against you. We're doing this because we are for you. We want what is best for you. You know that, don't you? He's been, throughout his 18 plus years, having that drilled into his head. And so the other day when we were talking about plans and how we're going to proceed, how we're going to go forward with things, with, with this, you know, there's going to be some lifestyle changes. We're going to have to do some things differently. His immune system is compromised. And so we can't, I, I said to him, Jack, you know, we're, we're going to make some decisions. There's going to be times that, that you're going to want to do something. And, and mom and I are going to kind of say, no, no, we can't, we can't do this. We have to change the way we're doing this. We're not going to do that. But, but I want you to know now that when we say no, it is because we are for you. It's because we love you. And as much as we are for Jack, and as much as we love Jack, God loves his children far more, far better. And so it is that he is for us and with us, our refuge and our fortress. If God is for us, who can be against us? And so I guess that's the real question, isn't it? That's the real question that, that's kind of the key to this whole passage. Do you really believe that God is for us? Do you really believe that? So I ask you that today. This is a hypothetical question. This is a question that has immense, immense practical impact on our lives. As you sit in the pew today... Do you believe that God is for you as his child? It can be hard to believe that sometimes in light of the, the pain we endure, can't it? But we must remember that God works in ways we don't understand always. Think of Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his own brothers. was able to say to his brothers many years later, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. And think, of course, of the most unjust act ever, Jesus Christ, the Holy Son of God, as he hung on the cross, his mother at his foot, looking up at him, Jesus' sweat and his blood and his tears of pain falling down upon Mary below him. She wasn't thinking this was a, a good day. She wasn't thinking this was a good thing. She wasn't saying, God, you're so wonderful, this is great. It was a horrible day for her. It was a painful day for her. And yet it was the most glorious day for her ever because it was on that day that her sins were atoned for. 
Now, could she have understood that in that moment as a mother loving her child and watching her child writhe in agony on that cross? No, she could not have understood that. And yet it was no less true. We know that God can work in ways we don't understand, even in the midst of our pain. That's what he promises to do. He promises to do something about it. He promises to do something about our pain. That's the promise of Revelation 21, right? When he returns, he will come and there will be no more crying and no more pain. That's what he promises us. And that's really what what Psalm 46 is getting at here. He says, behold the works of the Lord. He says, he makes wars to cease. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the chariots. All these things. These these are, what are these things? What are the bow and the the spear and, and, and the chariots? These are devices of war, devices of pain. And, and he says he breaks these, he shatters them. He is going to make the world perfect so that these no longer are needed. They're, they no longer exist, that there is peace and comfort and joy. And, and we have that for all of eternity. And so he says in light of this, in light of knowing what I am doing, you might not understand how I am doing it or why I am doing it, but you know that I am work. So what we need to do is be still and know that I am be still. Doesn't mean you can't ask questions. Why are you doing this, Lord? That's all right. God can take it. He's big enough. But know that he is God. That he is good. And he will be exalted among the nations throughout the, the whole of the earth. Know that the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. These are Great promises. Great promises that God has given us. But the question becomes, how do we know we can trust them? How do we know we can trust them? I mean, it's great. People make me promises all the time. But we know we can trust them because of the lengths to which God has gone to do something about it already. He took on human flesh and he died upon the cross. He he died upon the cross. We look to the bloody cross and we can see what he would do. He would do anything. He is our refuge. It's in him that we hide. But we look not just to the bloody cross, we look also to the empty tomb. We look to the empty tomb and we see that he has power over sin and death and Satan. He has power over all things. He is not just our refuge. He is our strength. And on the basis of these two things, we can trust in God's promises. And on the basis of his promises, no matter what our circumstances may be, we can say, it is well with my soul. Many of you know the story of Horatio Spafford. He wrote the hymn we're about to sing in just a moment. He sent his family, his wife and children on a trip across the Atlantic on a ship to meet them later. He was devastated when he received the telegram back from his wife that included but two words, arrived alone. The ship wrecked, his children died. He immediately left to book passage to go join his wife and 
while crossing the sea, the captain of the ship told him that they were passing near the point where the ship had gone down upon which his children had died. And he returned to his cabin and wrote the words to the hymn we are about to sing. It is well with my soul. He could say that because in the face of even those terrible circumstances, in the face of the most horrific and horrible of situations, he knew that even then God was at work. God was his refuge and his strength. He could do it because he knew what Jesus had done, what Jesus was doing, and what Jesus would one day do. And we can know that too in the midst of our fears, in the midst of our sadness and anger, and the midst of our pain. And we too can say, it is well. Would you pray with me? Our Lord, we, we thank you for the assuredness we have in the gospel. We thank you for the confidence that we have in Christ Jesus. We thank you that we can know that in all situations, your love for us is greater than we can possibly imagine. That your, your willingness to, to save us and to care for us and to be a refuge for us is, is infinitely above what we would hope for. And your ability to provide the salvation we need is limitless. And so we give ourselves to you now. We give ourselves to you and we, we just ask for your peace now. In the name of Jesus, your son, who died on the cross and rose from the dead. Amen. Would you ride with me now as we sing hymn number 705, It is well with my soul.